the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Folks, welcome again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We gather like this every weekend right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. And we're just so pleased when you decide to join us. So is Alan Dempsey. Uh, He engineers this get-together. And uh, my my producer is Andrew Herdliska. And uh, the first guest, Jason Wilson, is with us. He's in Detroit. His new book is out. It's called Cry Like a Man, Fighting for Freedom from Emotional Incarceration. Uh, Jason is the director of the Cave of Adullam Transformational Academy, a program uh, he founded in 2003. we got a lot to talk about, Jason, don't we? Yes, sir. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yes, cur- sir. I'm curious about the title of this book. And what's the what's the story behind it? Um, you know, in a culture where um, we always would say, you know, uh, be a man or fight like a man, or you know, we're we're still trying to define what it is to be a man. You know, you never hear a woman say, "Be a woman." You know, mm-hmm. um, and so because we've, I really believe because we've cut off half of our humanity and we've allowed. Uh, the word masculinity to define us, um, we, 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 we will always be confused because we're only living out of the attributes of masculinity. And so uh, when I looked at the definition, you know, it made sense to why uh, men, we, uh, we uh, commit suicide more than women. Uh, we, we practice more at-risk behaviors than uh, women. Uh, nine out of ten uh, people who live, to, uh, live over 100 are women. And so when I looked at the definition, it says having qualities traditionally ascribed to men, such as strength and boldness. And I looked at that, but I said, but what about qualities ascribed to a human? Because God, you know, he made us male and female, however, he made us human. And so a lot of times as men, we think we separate emotions as these are feminine emotions and these are masculine emotions. No, 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 these are men emotions, these are women emotions. But the truth is, they're human emotions. Sadness is a human emotion. Um, compassion is a human emotion. And so uh, we've been uh, deceived by misconstrued masculinity. And so when I was thinking of a title, I said, man, cry like a man, because you never hear that. And I knew it would strike a chord with not only men, but women as well. And then the subtitle, Fighting for Freedom from Emotional Incarceration. Because what happens when we don't cry is that uh, Dr. William Frey, he discovered that you know, uh, tears uh, that are due to emotional stress, like you can get what's called reflex tears where if something gets in your eyes, your eyes are water. That's 98% water. But when we cry from emotional stress, it's not only 98% water, but it also releases stress hormones from our body, which is why we generally feel better after we cry. And so when that happens, we get backed up and walls go up. And we don't allow anyone into our private lives or our private lives or our private pain. And the next thing you know, 
we have to find a way out. And some, unfortunately for many of us, we consider safe spaces, pornography, drug abuse, spousal abuse, uh, crime, you name it. And so I, I wanted to have a title that uh, not only would, would spark a conversation, but also, um, you know, it was it's my own story. I had to fight through my own emotional incarceration so that I could, too, cry like a man. What is the biblical picture of masculinity, Jason? Hmm. To me, uh, there's no uh, better example of biblical masculinity than our Lord and Savior Christ. That, you know, one of the strongest verses in the Bible is the shortest, Jesus wept. And what's beautiful about this picture, you know, here it is, like, Pat, if you and I, like, we were out somewhere and someone told me you died, and we're really good friends like uh, Jesus and Lazarus was. I would have not cried because I would have just went to you and said, Pat, come forth, wake up, man. That was scary, man. Get up, man. Get up. Let's go. Let's keep going. You're living. That's all I would have done. But in that moment, he wept so much that even people looking like, wow, he loved him. What Christ was showing us is the human side of him being God. It's the fact that here it is, he refused to deny his emotions because it was too heavy. And he showed us in that picture that we can still be strong, because clearly he operated in many masculine attributes, especially when he turned the tables in the temple and made a whip out of court. But he also practiced sensitivity and compassion as well. And so to me, there's no better example of what it means to be a comprehensive man, a man who is courageous but compassionate, a man who's sensitive but strong, a man who can live from the love in his heart and not his fears. And so to me, you know, he's, he's the best picture uh, that, that, that personified what it is to be a comprehensive man. Jason Wilson's new book is out. It's called Cry Like a Man. David C. Cook is the publisher. I'm curious, Jason, what is your definition of a father wound? Hmm. A father wound is, is uh, another form of trauma where... Uh, a boy or a girl doesn't receive what they deserve or desire. Instead, they receive hurt, rejection, abandonment, pain. And so the father, we also have what's called a mother wound as well. And so a father wound is basically, it's, it's another form of trauma, except you received it from your father. And it hurts more because as 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 the father you know, what's amazing, Pat, is that throughout my journey, I caught myself performing or trying to perform for God. And it's amazing how our relationships with our earthly parents almost teach us subliminally, like, this is how God is with us. And so when i mentoring boys for over 15 years or children through our organization called The Union, I've seen a direct correlation between children's relationship with God and their relationship with their parents. And so for me, I had, I had to learn that there's no performing for God. There's only obedience and that he loves us and that he loves us for who we are. And so the father wound, it, when it's not healed, it manifests in other ways. The lack of affirmation you receive you're going to think you have to go above and beyond to receive it from other human beings. The lack of affirmation or, or love you receive, you think 
the only way you can get it from God is to perform. And that leads so many Christians down the path of just living unfulfilled lives, chasing dreams that aren't his will. And then also, at, you know, when we get older, we start resenting God for not being what we read in the Bible. And it's really not his fault. It's the way we've been conditioned that a father is supposed to treat a son and what we have to do to perform for a father's love. Tell me this, Jason, how have you tried to counter this in your own home for your son? Um, For me personally, just modeling what it means to be a human, you know, and I I, I do, I have a shirt where it says be human and H-U is lowercase and M-A-N is all caps. And what I mean by that is I, I, I try my best to display for him what it means to be comprehensive, meaning strong and a protector, but also a lover of my wife, a servant of God, a lover of God. I, I cry in front of my son. I cry in front of my wife. I'm also uh, a servant in front of my son to my community and others. And, and when he has fears or he's nervous before a game, I say, son, you know, let's talk through that. You know, why are you nervous? I don't condemn him for being nervous. I said, that's a real emotion, so let's dig deeper. Because as we know, if we don't allow ourselves time to sit still, we'll become what's called a soulless Christian, meaning we will respond and live our lives according to the cares of our soul, which is the seat of our emotions. So what I teach my son through me living it and then giving him uh, the wisdom to apply to his own life is like, sometimes if you feel sad, my son, don't just shun it off in this world of motivational speakers. Everyone says you got to be happy and consider, you know, the word says consider it all joy. But in the midst of that, it's also telling us that we're going to face many trials. And then it talks about in the Bible also about how sorrowness makes one contemplate change. And so my son, I said, son, maybe you should be sad because you're not performing as well as you could academically in school. Let's stay here and think on that and then find the why so that we can get to the how. Jason Wilson, our guest from Detroit, Cry Like a Man, the name of his book. We've got more with Jason, but first these messages on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word in Orlando. Jason Wilson is it? In Detroit, he's written a book, Cry Like a Man. Uh, I am curious, Jason, about the Cave of Adullam Transformational Academy. C-A-T-T-A. Can, can you explain that? Um, well, the Cave of Adullam is where David ran for safety from King Saul mm-hmm. in the Bible. And um, history tells us that uh, 400 men came to him who were in debt, discontented, and distressed. And, you know, we know the end story, the end game, was that these same men, something happened in that cave that these same men who were in debt, discontented, and distressed came out and were referred to as mighty men of valor. And so as I was doing a Bible study with my pastor and a group of men, the rest of the group went on from that uh, um, the cave of Adullam to study more about David and his men. But the Holy Spirit told me to stay here because he wanted me to see or find out what happened that these men transformed. Because you only know that they were in the cave and then they came out of that cave. 
And what, 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 what I've learned is that the Cape of Adullam, as it is today, our mission is to teach, train, and transform uninitiated boys into men who are physically conscious, mentally astute, and spiritually strong enough to navigate through the pressures of this world without succumbing to their negative emotions. And in that process of training them in our Cape of Adullam here in Detroit, we send them out as mighty men of the Most High or mighty men of valor. And the key about the Cape of Adullam that every man needs in their life is a safe space to share the cares that are heavy on their heart. And so that's what the Cape of Adullam allows right now, um, opening up a group for men uh, as soon as we um, close on our new building. And men are tired of going at this alone. We're tired of allowing, especially Christian men, tired of allowing the world to define what it is to be a man, uh, let alone a man of the Most High. Jason, I'm curious about Bible verses, verses of Scripture Mm -hmm. uh, that your training academy focuses on. Do you have a couple you can share with us? Yes. uh, One of my favorites um, as far as dealing with emotions and uh, ruling them so that you can walk in the will of God is uh, Genesis 4-7, where uh, God is telling Cain after Cain is dejected and upset because his offering wasn't pleasing to God. He says, sin is crouching at your door, but you must master it. So he's telling Cain in that moment, look, I get you're emotional about this, but you must master this before it makes you kill your brother or do something that's detrimental. But Cain refused to master his emotions. And then another one I tie to that is, I think it's Proverbs 16.32, he that rules his spirit is mightier than one that can capture a city. And so we we, we teach our recruits and men that, look, you know, we have to stop making or blaming Satan for everything, and we have to understand the power or the influence of our soul. And I love when David, I believe it's Psalm 42, when he was distressed, he says, he didn't say, oh, David, he says, oh, my soul, why are you distressed within me? And he allows himself an opportunity to deal with his emotions of not being in the presence of the Most High and the people of Israel so that he can gain hope again and rule his soul so that he can walk by the Spirit. And so we, we, we always, everything in the Cape of Adullam is biblically based and is rooted in God's precepts and principles so that when a boy is faced with these challenges in life, he will not succumb to his emotions and uh, be able to navigate through the pressures and, and become all that he's called to be. Jason, how do you think women can encourage the men in their lives to embrace their God-given emotions? Hmm. Um, I'm, I get a lot of messages regarding that now, especially um, with uh, it's a new Gillette commercial that came. I don't know yes, if you saw it. Yes, yes, so yes. What, well, it's, it's just two parts. So as men, we have to be willing to receive this nurturing from our wives, okay? So the first part of your question, we need, uh, my wife says it best, we need to have what's called, women need to, manifest compassionate communication, basically listening to the heart of their husband or their brother or their cousin without condemnation, without focusing on what they're doing wrong, but being an ear for them, a soundboard, so that they can start trusting uh, what is coined as the better half. What, what, What I found interesting after my mother died in 2016, I yearned for her nurturing again. I missed her. 
and still miss it to this day. And when, when you know, the Holy Spirit took me to the scriptures where it talks about husband and wives shall leave their mother and father and become one. And in that, when I thought about something, I said, wait a minute. When your wife gets pregnant, she becomes a mother and she's a nurturer. And I'm like, am I allowing my wife the freedom to even nurture me? But a mother can't nurture anyone or a woman can't nurture anyone that is closed off. And so what I had to do, Pat, I had to allow my wife to see inside of me what was really going on in the pain. And that took a lot of trust and vulnerability on my part. And so when a, when a man comes to a woman like that, he's at his most vulnerable state because culture as a whole has taught us that if we do that, our wives and our, the women in our lives will use it against us. And so what our women need to do is say, look, I'm here for you. And I'm going to be here for you. You can cry every day. Because they'll say, well, how often should a man cry? As often as he need to. Because, Pat, truth be told, many of us are backed up for decades. And it's going to take years for us. You may just cry one day driving down the street because you remember something in your life that was traumatic that you never released tears on. And and, and when we start allowing our souls to grieve and, and then we can cast our cares to God even more, we become better husbands, better leaders. Uh, I believe crimes would even decrease because we commit the majority of the crime. And so if we continue to live, I said, you know, we need an emotional enema to, to, to free us from all that our soul is holding on. And I do believe with all my heart, our women are going to play a crucial role in that because I know it in my life. As men, when you lose your mother, as you get older, you still desire the nurturing love of her. And what's the beauty is a, a pastor friend of mine said it and, it, and it it blew my mind. He said, when God created Adam, he gave him a responsibility. When he created Eve, he gave her a relationship. And so as men, the more we become in tune with our emotions, we not only become better husbands, we become better lovers. And this is even more powerful. We become better worshipers. Because how often when we're in our church services that men are sitting down and, and, and are scared to express the thumos or praise and worship like we want to as men. We don't have to clap our hands or praise God the same way our sisters do. He wants us to be who we are. And men are ready to release it, but we're scared. And it's like in my book, my pastor gave me permission to cry at my best friend's funeral. Mm. I, I, I'm, I'm like, hey, I feel like I need to cry. He looked at me, he says, well, cry. Mm. And that was the first time a man gave me permission to cry. And after that moment, Pat, I started seeing each brick in the walls that I had erected in my life started coming down because I was allowing myself finally to be human. I didn't have to uh, 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 coincide with the world's definition of what it means to be a man but I could follow the man who was comprehensive, and that's Christ Jesus. Jason, you have talked about violence. It's always a last resort, really, uh, as you explained for yourself and your trainees. Uh, can you expand on that whole topic? Yes. Um, I have a saying I tell our recruits, love always, fight if you must. But the problem is with many of us as men, we walk around, our thresholds, we already are maxed out, Pat. So if, if say, if our entire body was like a, 
a gauge or a, a level of liquid. The majority of us walk around with the level like about two inches away from the crown of our head. So as soon as anything upsets us, a person cuts us off in the road or we get a bad experience at a restaurant, we're ready to explode. Mm. So unfortunately for many of us as men, unlike what you were saying, which it should be the case, violence should be our last resort. It is our first because we don't even allow ourselves, the, we don't have the capacity to navigate through the plethora of emotions in a matter of a minute that you can make a decision that could cost you your life or someone else's, your freedom or someone else's. And so the only way we can release these, uh, or de decrease uh, the amount of trauma and emotional pain we have is to release it. You know, it's just like if you had a, uh, I, I used to be in construction and I, you know, the air compressors we would use to uh, hang, uh, frame, um, you know, houses and hang molding. We would always have to let the air out because if not, you know, it could damage the container. It could rust, especially in Michigan in cold weather climate. But if I never let the air out of the container, it would always stay full. Unfortunately, as men, we don't have spaces to release the trauma and the pain and the hurt. And so what happens when your wife um, says something to you that's hurtful? You won't, typically men won't say, wow, that really hurt me so bad, Erica. We'll say, man, that upset me, or we'll use profanity, or we'll hit the table or punch holes in the wall like I used to. Instead of learning how to articulate the way we really feel. So now, if my wife uh, says something to hurt me, I don't, I, don't, I don't have to yell. I don't have to hit things. I say, wow, Nicole, that really hurt. Did you really mean that? Do you really think I would do that? You think that was my intent? Mm. And it changes the dynamics of the, the conversation. Fascinating. My guest is Jason, Jason Wilson. He's in Detroit. Cry Like a Man, the name of his book. So, Jason, how can we go about dismantling <laughs> the culture of toxic masculinity in schools, homes, mm. churches, and so forth? Um, I have to go to the Scripture. And when Christ said, you know, first go look in the mirror mm. and remove the plank out of your own eye, this is what's cru crucial about this passage of teaching. Many of us think that means to stay in the mirror, don't judge anyone else, and, you know, work on yourself. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, and this is, I love keywords. He says, uh, first remove the plank out of your own eye. And I love this next line. He says, then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck out of your neighbor. So until we're able to remove the plank of trauma, the plank of emotional wounds, hurt from our own eye, our own heart, we can't change the culture. It starts at one person at a time. That's what I do in the Cave of Adullam. I work one boy at a time. And now I get, you know, just from the influence online with the viral videos, I, I kept a screenshot message from a, a guy. He tells me, he says, you know, thank you for what you're doing because I just proposed to the woman I want to marry. Mm. But he was holding it off because of his fears of thinking he has to have everything together before he gets married. So we have to model you know, what it means to have faith as well. And that you got to understand our wives are also help me. So 
you, you think you're supposed to have your house, your car, your investments together, you know, everything in line. What is she just, she's just supposed to sit around? You know, she has a life, you know, and, and God had convicted me in this area because when I met my wife, we, we weren't practicing abstinence. And so when we got married, I'm still, I'm thinking, you know, she has to fall in line what I see for her life. And the God checked me so hard. He says, did you create your wife? Do you know why? Did you even ask me when you met her? Why was she created? And so I wanted, because I, I did a lot of traveling back then, I wanted my wife to be stay-at-home mom. But he says, that's not what I created her to do. Mm. There are some great stay-at-home moms, because that's a job in and of itself. But because I backed away from what I saw, like I'm playing God for her, if it wasn't for my wife's uh, compassion and desire and knowledge and, and skill set, our nonprofit, the union, would not be here the way it is now. She's the reason. She has the gift of administration. She has the, 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 the skill to lead our staff daily, day-to-day operations in the nonprofit sector. And so because of that, because I allowed myself to go back in that mirror and say, you got some more work to do. Mm. Now she can walk truly in what God has called her to do. And so as a, as a man, we have, to, we have to deal with ourselves first. You know, everyone, I love what the, uh, the Lord told Ezekiel when he gave him a, a word of truth. He says, let this sit in you before you go share it. My guest, Jason Wilson. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, and it's 94.9 FM and AM 950, the word in Orlando. Uh, We've got more after this. Jason Wilson, our guest in that first segment in Detroit, talking about his book, Cry Like a Man. Uh, John Eldridge joins us from Colorado Springs, best-selling author, counselor, teacher, president of Ransomed Heart, and a terrific new book is out. It's a devotional and uh, filled with uh, good material. John, thanks a million. Great to visit with you, and I'm so glad we could hook up here. Hey, Pat, thanks for having me back on. It's good to be with you. What is the importance of a devotional? Well, first a confession. I think I have, I'm looking at eight books on my on my shelf here that I've only read the first chapter of every one of them. Oh. And I'm a, I'm a reader. I, I just think people have gotten too busy. And, and so the help, the help of a devotional is we, you know, we want some way to connect with God each day. We need a little something, you know, to orient us and just kind of get our perspective back. And so I uh, I put out this this devotional with my publisher so that it would be a, it's a short read, something you can do, you know, with your quick coffee in the morning. And, and yet, I think it will really, really kind of recenter you in Christ each day. You um, suggest... A simple question at the start of a new year. What do I want to be different this year? Uh, What's the importance of that question? You know, in fact, Pat, the 
the devotion is actually filled with a lot of questions like that. At 30 years as a therapist, I've really just become convinced that sometimes the best thing you can do for someone is give them the right question. Rather than trying to just tell them the answers, because when we let ourselves ask questions, yeah, what do I want? What, what, do, what do I want my life to be like this year? What do I want my walk with God to be like? It actually allows more of your heart and your soul to show up. You know, you're not just checking the box and, oh, yeah, you know, I need to memorize that passage. So we start the year off in the devotion with two thoughts. One, the idea of consecrate your year to Christ. Wherever you are, you know, I realize we're, we're past the 1st of January here, but sometimes I don't get to it till February, if I'm honest. But I, I, like, to, I like to dedicate the year to God and, and say, okay, Lord, here's my year, here's my calendar, he, here's, here's our desires, here's my, you know, hopes for the year, and then, and then sit back and say, okay, what would I love to change this year? Now, I'm not... I gotta tell you, I'm not a New Year's resolution guy. Mm-hmm. I have made them and broken them so many times. I just don't think they're helpful. I think they're guilt-inducing. But, but I think it is good to let yourself at the start of of the new year to just ask yourself, yeah, what what would we love to be different? And if you know you're in a family, what would what would our family love to be different this year? Because I bet God is in that question. The name of the book. Restoration Year, John Eldridge has put it together. John, I want you to uh, expand on that word restoration. What what does that mean to you? Oh, it's such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful promise of the gospel, Pat. I I don't know that most people know this, that um, the offer of Christianity is is yes, it's forgiveness. Yes, it's coming home to your Father. It is the reconciliation we need with God. But it is so much more. That is just the doorway into the life that God has for you. And if, if we just follow the flow of the miracles of Jesus in the Gospels, you know, the blind see and the deaf hear, and Lazarus is raised from the dead, and you know, on and on, the the people with skin diseases, you know, are absolutely renewed and and cleansed and healed. All of them are pictures of restoration. And I think that restoration is what God most wants to do in the human heart. I think that he, He knows we're broken, He knows we're struggling, He knows our addictions, all that. And what he wants to do is work within us to restore our souls. Psalm 23, he restores my soul. Restoration is the, is the transformation of our lives back into what we were created to be as his sons and daughters. It's so hopeful. Here's um, an important topic, I think. And, and that is asking God for his theme for your year. What, what, what do you think of that? What's that mean? 
You know, it, this is a little something drawn out of my own my own devotions, my own practice. Several years ago, I began to realize that what I was doing, Pat, was I was making a bunch of plans and then asking God to bless them, rather than asking God what He was up to and getting in line with that. Now, I, I want to say, your desires matter to him. Our dreams matter to him. I'm really not dismissing that. I'm just realizing that I think what most of us do, you know, rushing into our day is we say, oh, Lord, help. You know, I need your help today. And that's good, and he does love to help, but I don't want to just give God my agenda. I actually want to ask him for his. I want to pause I, I, again, I do it, you know, somewhere in, in January or early February. I pause and say, okay, Jesus, is there a theme to this year? Is there something you are up to in my life that will help, you know, kind of give me a North Star for this year? And so, for example, one year, he just gave me the word love. <clears throat> and it was a year of really coming back to love. There was there were a lot of relationships that needed reconciliation. There were some difficult things we had to navigate as a family. And love was the lifeline. It, I just had to keep returning to, right, right, it's about love. And then another year, which actually <clears throat> led to the creation of this book, was um, at the beginning of the year, I was asking, okay, Jesus, kind of where are we headed this year? Do you have a word? Do you have a theme? Is there a scripture? And the word that he spoke was, restoration. Now, at the time, I had no idea what it meant. So I just wrote it down, you know, put it on my desk, little three-by-five card, restoration. And then as the year developed, oh my, did it begin to make sense. That was the year that I, um, we had gone through a lot of tragedy. I'd lost a dear friend to cancer. Uh, we had lost our first grandchild. Absolutely mm. heartbreaking. And I needed restoration, and I didn't even know it, but Jesus knew. And he said, this is a year we're going to focus on your restoration. So I took some time off. I um, practiced uh, some some conversational, you know, sort of counseling with friends, talking through the grief. I spent some time in nature. You know, the ocean is so healing, and and just made the point of my soul needs some extra care this year. So the idea is year to year, the theme is different. And and Jesus will speak, and he might give you a scripture over your year. He might give you a, a word or two that kind of helps orient you, oh, this is the year of new beginnings, or this is the year of intimacy. And it ends up being this really sweet year of, of drawing closer to Christ. John, several of your devotionals are about holiness. So here's a pretty intense question, I think. How do we become holy? <laughs> well, first off, nobody likes that word. I don't even like that word. Because it's got so many connotations to us now. You know, you hear the word holy and you go, oh, you know, that means i got to give up everything I enjoy. That means I have to become more, I don't know, moral, holy. Oh, gosh, I'm going to lose most of my friends. Hang on, hang on. Uh, that's how I used to see it. Mm-hmm. But 
but I, I uh, several years ago, one of the things I did for the theme of the year was I went through the Gospels and I just looked at the life of Jesus. And you watch Jesus navigate the world, his playfulness, his sense of humor, his his ability to handle praise, and then in the next minute, people hate him. Mm. He, he's got he's got women literally throwing themselves at his feet, and he just kind of saunters through it all without without a lot of grief. He he has an internal integrity that allows him to navigate life, whatever comes at him. And I thought to myself, I want that. I want that. I don't want a holiness that's just grit your teeth, you know, I got to fast again today, I need to give up, you know, my love of water skiing or whatever it is. No, no, no. What it is, is it's allowing God to give you His goodness. And His goodness is so captivating. People, people aren't repulsed by it, people are drawn to it. And yes, you bet it changes our our character, but it changes it from the inside out in a very joyful way. Now, I want to get to this topic. Your book is filled with two themes, I think. Hope and joy. Yes. How do we cultivate hope and joy in this world, John? <laughs> yes, we need it, don't we, Pat? Sure. There's a fascinating scripture. It's the years. It's just intrigued me for years. First Peter, he says, "I want you to be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that lies within you." And the reason that that just intrigued me is that's never happened to me. I, I, I don't. I mean, I'm embarrassed to admit I've never had someone stop me and say, "John, I need to know the reason for the hope that lies within you." And I had to ask myself why. Why, why isn't that a more common experience? And I realized that my hope was not exactly um, neon lights. It wasn't exactly attention-getting. I had the same hopes that everybody else had. I hope, I hope you know, this doctor's test comes back clean. I, I hope my kids, you know, turn out well. I, I hope we get a vacation this year. You have good hopes, but the problem is they're normal hopes. And I think I think, again, this extraordinary offer of the Gospels is, is a hope beyond all other hopes. And so one of the things we do in the devotional is we go back in and we, we dig into, again, asking some questions. Where, how's your hope right now? And, and just being honest with that. Where is your hope right now? What are your hopes set in? Because Hebrews 6.19 says there is a hope that is an anger <laughs> For the soul, and that hope, that hope, we want to we want to unpack and, and just very shortly, what that means is, um, every loss you have ever experienced is not final. That the the Christian hope is the hope of restoration. That that your everything you long for, the person you you ache to be, all of that is going to come true. Part of it now in this life, but absolutely fully very soon in the life that's coming to us in the kingdom of God. There is no loss of yours that is permanent. And when that begins to get into your soul, you you live with 
a resiliency that people are going to go, how, how come that didn't take you out? People were, you know, you just got fired. How come you're not in depression? You go, I'm good. God has me. I, I have a hope. And, and that's the hope that we're after. We really want to find that anchor of the soul. John Eldridge. He's a best-selling author, counselor, teacher, president of Ransom Heart. Hey, John, by the way, we've got about 30 seconds before the break. Well, what is Ransom Heart all about? Basically, what we do is heal people's hearts. We're, we're, that's kind of our Isaiah 61, Jesus said, I've come to heal the broken heart. So what, you know, what we, what our particular mission to men and the masculine heart, to women and the feminine heart, of course, there's in the books, Wild at Heart and Captivating, and we do conferences around Wild at Heart and Captivating and a podcast and stuff, but what we do is try and help, help people discover the power of that that offer, I've come, to, I've come to heal your heart, Jesus said. We've got more with author John Eldridge right after these messages. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. John Eldridge's latest book is out. It's simply called Restoration Year, a 365-day devotional. Thomas Nelson is the publisher. I know this, John. Animal lovers are going to be delighted by your December 14th essay, Animals in Heaven. Uh, What do you write about there? (laughs) Oh, this one strikes a little close to home. We we just... um... Golly, we just buried our our dear uh, family dog, um, the second golden retriever we've we've lost, and mm. you get attached to him. You know, most people who have who have a special um, pet, or they might be horse people, or you know, they really get into your life and they become a member of your family. And as a therapist over the years, as I've counseled people, sometimes the loss. Uh, the loss of a of a dear beloved uh, dog or or friend um, can be devastating. It, it, it can be one of the defining wounds of someone's life. And what does Christianity have to say about that? Now this gets really fun. <clears throat> okay, so in Romans eight, first off, Paul says that this creation, he says, all creation groans for the day of its redemption. Okay, so. This earth, this nature, the created world that God made in love, this world is not destroyed. This world is restored. And and that's why Jesus, in um, Matthew 19, 28, he says that the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, and then he goes in to talk about our losses, and he says, those of you who have lost things that are dear to you will be restored to you. So I really began digging into that. Wait a second. I I was raised in a <clears throat> you know, the evangelical tradition that God, you know, vaporizes the world like the Death Star and we all go airlifted to heaven. That is actually not the Jewish hope. That wasn't what, what Jesus was te- teaching, and it isn't what the New Testament 
says in Revelation 21, when John sees the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, he says, I saw heaven and earth renewed, heaven and earth. So just begin with, God restores creation. And then you have these beautiful promises through Isaiah, you know, the lion will lie down with the lamb and the wolf will eat straw like the ox and the bear will graze with the calf. And he's talking about the animal kingdom in the kingdom of God. And then, wait a second, wait, wait, there are animals in the kingdom of God? And then, of course, you know, when Jesus comes back, he's, he's on a horse. And it says his whole army is on horseback when Christ returns. So there are, there are animals in the coming kingdom of God. God loves his animals. He loves his creation. He doesn't just destroy it. He renews it. Well, then why would he, if there are animals in the coming kingdom, why not the restoration of the ones that we hold most dear? I mean, I, would, I look forward to, you know, being friends with birds and badgers and stuff, but what about the animals that have been most precious to us? Doesn't God care about those? And it was just delightful to read John Piper and Max Lucado and C.S. Lewis and discover there's this long theological tradition that, that many of us believe that God does restore the, the, the creation and the, and the creation that was dear to us, the precious ones that we have lost, I believe are restored to us in the coming kingdom. John, how do we strengthen our relationship with God and then heal relationships with others? Mm. It's interesting that that you ask that. The two go together, don't they? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, I'm just thinking of the two greatest commands, you know, love God and love others. And, and the Scripture, of course, says, how can you love God when you have not seen if you don't love the people around you who you do see. And so I think I think in this busy world, and again, I, I'm trying to be gracious with people's lives. I get it. I'm a very busy person. You are. We, we can't set up these spiritual goals for ourselves that just are unattainable. I, I think in this busy world, if, if we begin to allow ourselves a little bit of space for relationship, and and that it, you know includes the people that are around you, and it also includes God. That is, we because what we do now, Pat, is we worship efficiency. Efficiency is the main goal. It's what drives technology. Everybody, we're going to do it all better and faster, and we get more stuff done. But what I realized is that in the getting of the stuff done, I was just blowing through my relationships with people, and frankly, blowing through my relationship with God. And the the delightful interruption in, in our life was grandchildren. Mm. You can't rush them. They, they are a fabulous disruption into my efficient life. They just want to be loved. They just want to, they just want you to read a book to them. Mm. And, and it really, it's calling us back into, you are made for relationship friends. Make a little room for it. That's great. Great observation on grandchildren, that's for sure. So how does this whole restoration year that you uh, have here for us, John, how does that fit into your own life's work of helping people 
to discover the true heart of God and healing for their own hearts. How's that work? Well, <clears throat> let's go back to devotionals for a second. I think the greatest devotional maybe ever made is Oswald Chambers mm. by utmost for his highest. I mean, if you, own, if you own one devotional, friends, get that one, because it's just great. And, and the thing is, though, you know, if you've, if you've read devotionals over the years, you, you recognize that it's a little bit of like a potpourri. You know, on any given day, you open it up, you're not really sure what you're going to get. And what I wanted to do with this book was something a little different. I, I just thought, if we could take people through a year of very simple reading, there's a scripture each morning, there's a, there's a thought, there's a little passage, and then there's a prayer that you can pray, or there's a question that we ask to just give you to think about. You know, three minutes. If we could take people on a journey over the course of a year, the fruit of which would be restoration, could, could we guide that? Could we direct them into that? Is that possible? And I think, I think the answer is yes. I, I think that some good questions, some thoughtful readings about where we've lost heart, what our hopes are, what we're longing for, I think that over the course of a year we can experience not just inspiration, not just motivation. I really think that God loves to restore human beings. And so this... This is right in the bullseye of my work. I, I, I just want to see people's hearts restored and their souls healed, and, and you know, healed as men, healed as women, healed as the friends of God. And, and so that's the, hope, that's the hope of restoration. John, what does Jesus mean to you? <laughs> um, everything. Mm-hmm. E- everything. Um, he, he is a very, very dear friend. He is also my redeemer. He, he is my counselor. I can't tell you how often I turn to Christ for guidance. I have so many questions. And he is my healer because I am in this process of restoration and he is the one who restores my soul. Are you eager to meet him? <laughs> more and more every day. Boy, and by the way, folks, I think we're getting close. Now, I'm not, you know, a guy that likes to throw dates out and make predictions, but I think that we are very near the wonderful return of our Jesus and the restoration that that brings. Uh, to to his creation. I think we're close. I'm I'm excited. Well, John, I'm excited about your book. And um thank I'm you. So glad that we could visit and I'm always very very grateful when you take a few minutes to talk to your friends here in Central Florida. You know, Pat, and let me just say real quick, thank you for your faithfulness over the years just um turning people's hearts back to God encouraging their faith through your show. Um, So faithful over the years. Just compliments to you. John Eldridge has been our guest. Restoration Year, his devotional. Uh, We've got to wrap up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour here on 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word in Orlando.
Well, folks, thanks for joining us here once again on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Jason Wilson joined us from Detroit talking about his latest work, Cry Like a Man. And then best-selling author John Eldridge uh, was in Colorado Springs talking about his devotional restoration year. Please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com. The Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And my latest book has just come out. It's called Character Carved in Stone. It's about an experience I had up at Army West Point a couple of years ago. Mike Krzyzewski, the Duke basketball coach and a West Point grad, wrote the foreword for us. Go to Amazon. Terrific way to order books. BarnesandNoble.com, BooksAmillion.com. We're back next weekend for more right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word. And this is Pat Williams speaking on behalf of the Saturday Power Hour. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.